You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the, the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know, that crap like that. You know, all this stuff that's contaminated America where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring Little League anymore. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm flying solo for this edition. Old Cousin Shane, last week it was family obligations. This week, it says he's too busy with work. My God, that guy's got more excuses than Dan Mullen in the post game after he loses a game. But hey, we still nothing but love for Cousin Shane. Just an excuse a day with that guy. Hopefully, he's telling me he's going to be back on in the middle of the week. We're going to have another pod. So the return of Cousin Shane coming up here shortly. But a lot of news here in the SEC the last couple of days. So wanted to get out here and get you guys a pod while while the content's good, man, because here in the next, you know, when spring football is over, we'll be full on into list season. Hell, I've even got a list here at the end of the show. Came up with an idea I thought could be pretty fun, so going to get to that, and then we'll get some, uh, got some, like I said, we've got some news around the SEC, so let's just get right into it before we get to the news around the league, man. I just wanted to share these clips. There's one guy that's on his way out of the SEC, Najee Harris, outstanding running back for Alabama. That guy's an amazing quote. And now that uh, he's done with uh, Nick Saban's Alabama program, at least being a part of it, I think uh, we'll start seeing more and more clips from him and what a tremendous interview he is. And he'll come forward with uh, stuff like he did on a recent appearance on the Pat McAfee show. Another show everyone should be checking out, the Pat McAfee show. But he had Najee Harris on, hitting on a couple topics here. Two of my favorites from his appearance, Alabama fans and just how crazy it is in the SEC. If you don't know, Najee Harris was a five-star running back from California. He signed with Alabama over Michigan. And I mean, he had offers from basically every school in the country, but he gets into that. Talks about playing in a pandemic and how you can hear the fans curse you and scream at you and all that. I thought that was great. And then uh, a real gem here on him trolling some of the Alabama fans while he was in Tuscaloosa. 
in there. Did that affect you at all? You and Doak Walker made you better almost. Um, I, honestly, I honestly feel like no fans there. You know, for me, it don't matter either way because, you know, when I'm playing, like, everything is just, I'm just zoned out anyways, so I don't really hear nothing. But, like, whenever I'm on the sidelines, I mean, you hear the fans because they're going to talk shit. Like, always, you feel me? They're going to be like, God damn it, you suck. Nah, you get your ass out there. Do your fuck. Okay. You know, I'm in the South, so, like, I'm a Cali dude, so the, I really can't, like, when I'm on the sidelines, like, I hear them talking, but, like, I can't hear them talking because they got such a country-ass accent. <laughs> the only thing I'm hearing is, God damn it, you need to run harder. Like, what the hell? Like, so, I mean, like, did the fans affect it? I mean, like, a, a little bit. I'm <laughs> But, you know, when I'm on the sideline, you hear everything, especially them country-ass, you know, people in the, in the stands. From Cali or whatever, you, you kind of knew, like, hey, this is this is a, a religion down here, which it really is in the South. Okay, I knew that. So, when I, of course, we're going to visit stuff like that. So, I knew that, uh, you know, football's taken seriously there, but I did not know that, like, the fans would be that damn crazy. <laughs> um, I, I can't even, like, it was just at some points for, like, you know, like, I mean, like, I know that's the thing of saying roll tide there, but goddamn, like, sometimes when I'm just getting food, <laughs> they just be like, roll tide, Najee? I'd be like, bro, like, let me just eat my food. Like, I understand that, but goddamn, like, just chill out for a minute with this roll tide stuff. Like, so, like, as, sometimes, like, because I used to, like, I, just, I like joking around with people, so, like, a lot of times they'll say, roll tide, Najee? And I'd be like, well, War Eagle. Like, oh! <laughs> I promise, bro, like, so, like, so, like you see y'all face, like, so, that, like, just seeing their face there, they'd be like, well, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on now. Like, yeah, that, you're wearing the wrong colors then, sweetie. I'd be like, I'm just messing with you. Oh, man. So that's the one thing you can never say to an Alabama fan. They probably have literally never heard that from an, an active player from Alabama. So I just thought that was too good not to share. You're never going to see another Alabama player saying War Eagle, but there you got it from Najee Harris. But enough of that. Like I said, we got a lot of news to get to. Let's go around the league. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Uh, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. At Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, huge news over the weekend in the SEC because Eric Gilbert, former LSU freshman sensation, about a month. It was actually when I was on vacation. I remember it pretty vividly announced he's going to Florida. And it's something we said on the pod. You know, until he enrolls in school, nothing official. And I knew he was not planning on enrolling anytime soon. Well, over the weekend, he said, hell, he's decommitted. No longer headed to Florida. I don't know what the hell the plan is at this point with Eric Gilbert. I think he's just reevaluating his options. It doesn't sound like Georgia is very interested in him. 
We've seen Harrison Bailey, the Tennessee quarterback, publicly recruit him once again, this time legally, because uh, Gilbert is in the transfer portal. Like I said, it's the same deal as it was when he committed to Florida. He is not official until he shows up and goes to campus somewhere, goes to class. So, uh, you know, could be going back to LSU. If I had to bet, I I would imagine that's probably where Gilbert is going to land. But a lot of speculation out there that he doesn't have his grades in order. He may be looking at sitting out the season either way. So wherever he ends up, he's probably going to be on the bench next season. And I don't know if that's going to determine where he'll wind up, his destination, maybe because of that. Maybe it's a, a situation you know, kind of like this Florida where he could slide right in and replace Kyle Pitts, but if he doesn't have the grades to get in, he's got to sit out a year. Maybe going to Florida doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So maybe that is part of his decision not to go to Florida. Well, then, of course, if he if his grades are that bad, maybe he does have to go junior college route just to be academically eligible. I don't know. I'm just speculating on that point. But maybe that, uh, that says to me that maybe a return to LSU, you know, where he's previously been enrolled and already uh, on his way towards earning a degree at LSU it would make sense. And I know Coach O would welcome him back. A lot of those players, I think, despite the fact he opted out, it was really just a quitting of the season there at LSU. It seems like uh, from everything I've heard, the LSU program would welcome him back. The players would welcome him back. So don't write off Gilbert returning to LSU. But uh, I think this is going to be a saga where we may not know for weeks and weeks maybe even months, and even then, we may get uh, sources. Sources say Gilbert's going here, sources going there. till he gets on campus and is in class, I'm not going to believe anything I hear with this guy at this point. All right, let's skip it on down to Columbia, South Carolina real quick. Hey, we got a pretty cool deal here. I really like this marketing strategy by the Gamecocks. We don't talk a lot of marketing here, but the AD, Ray Tanner, Got a video here. I'm going to play it for you. But South Carolina is rolling back ticket prices to what they were back in 2010. They're calling it uh, the Welcome Home campaign. And this is smart for a number of factors. Obviously, South Carolina not where they want to be on the field. So, you know, enthusiasm may be a little low. Of course, getting rid of Muschamp and committing to Shane Beaver, that seems to have fired up the Gamecock fan base. This is just going to add to that. And as he references here, you know, with the COVID and all that, people maybe don't all don't have the expendable income they they did before, at least to the level where it was before COVID. So you're giving your fans a break in that arena. And 2010 was the last time Shane Beamer was in South Carolina. So it's a little bit of a tip of the cap to Shane Beamer. Welcome him back. They want to get Williams Bryce Stadium rocking like it was in 2010. We've all seen the videos of them just going absolutely berserk down there. Particularly, I'm thinking of beating Clemson for, what was it, the fifth consecutive time. So this is smart in all aspects. Uh, Let's kick it over to Ray Tanner, who he's also, listen carefully here, he's got something uh, particularly interesting to say here. There seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel regarding the pandemic as vaccines have reached our community. Hopefully, if we continue to stay diligent, We can have football this fall and even fill up the stadium, enjoying all the game day traditions that we're accustomed to. As you know, we have been hard at work improving our football program with the hiring of Coach Shane Beamer and his work in building out his entire staff. 
But today, we're focusing on you. You're the difference makers. Always have been, you always will be. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected all of us in some way, both physically and financially. Times have been tough for us all, but despite the challenges, we've tried to do all we could to accommodate offering refunds, rollover opportunities, and donation incentives through the Reinvest for Success campaign. Today, we're launching the Welcome Home campaign to get Williams Price back to the raucous home field advantage we're used to. For those that could use a little relief in these challenging times, now through June 25th, we're gonna roll back season ticket prices to 2010, the last time that Coach Beamer walked the sidelines. I can't wait to see this place rocking again. I'll see you soon. Forever to thee. All right, so if you caught it there, what I was hitting at there, they're planning on williams Bryce Stadium. Willie B's going to be rocking at full capacity. That's the plan as of March 1st here as I'm recording here. So things can obviously change, but we all know we're heading in the right direction there. So, man, you want to generate fan interest, new coach. You know, you're going to need buy-in from the fans. You're going to need that fan support. Nothing better than getting that stadium packed. And how do you do that? When the team's struggling, you lower the prices to what they were 11 years ago. I just think this is an outstanding move by South Carolina. All right, let's skip it all down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Or same deal here. Greg Byrne, the AD, has come out and said, you know, they're planning on having a full stadium, a full capacity Bryant-Denny Stadium next fall. Again, that could change, but this is great news. Now you got multiple ADs saying it, so this is obviously coming from if you don't know the SEC, the ADs, the presidents, and all that, from time to time they have meetings. And now that everybody's on Zoom, much easier to do. Just hop on the Zoom, get on you know, an hour meeting, what have you. But the fact that we have the same day multiple ADs coming out here and suggesting that we're going to have full capacity stadiums in the fall leads me to believe that's you know the assumption all across the SEC at this point. And they're trying to get fans hyped up and ready for some football and man I just can't uh I'm getting chills just thinking about the stadiums being full after kind of like what Najee was saying there at the beginning it just wasn't the same you know and and if nothing else it's a great sign that pretty soon you know the SEC football we know and love the way we like it back on Saturdays with all these uh outstanding traditions and and everything so Hey, I just wanted to share that good news with you guys. But that's not all we got with Alabama because on Friday afternoon, Ty Simpson, the five-star quarterback, who's the nation's highest-ranked uncommitted quarterback prospect from Martin, Tennessee, from a Tennessee football family. His dad's the head coach at UT Martin, which is part of the Tennessee University Network, if you don't know made his decision with that being said i'll be finding in your hearts to celebrate and support me as i'm committing to continue my journey at the university of alabama Roll time. all right so simpson has uh you know recently come out and said you know he would be going to tennessee if jeremy pruitt was still there of course jeremy pruitt probably had to hire his damn dad just to get him there but this is where you're at for tennessee sanctions coming Elite class of in-state prospects. Here's the biggest domino, the first domino to fall. Ty Simpson to Alabama. 
can't certainly can't blame him for making that decision. You go to Alabama. Hell, that was one thing you could hold against Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide in years past. Couldn't develop a quarterback. How many quarterbacks in the NFL come from Alabama? None. We well, can't say that anymore because we got Jalen Hurts playing, Tua playing, about to have Mac Jones. Looks like he's going to be a first-round pick. So, hey, I'm glad. I'm glad something's finally breaking for Alabama and the Crimson Tide. <laughs> I mean, my God. Rack it up. And, hell, they got another five-star already on campus. Bryce Young played a little bit last year. So, Alabama needs some depth at that quarterback position after Jalen Hurts and Tua and Mack and all these guys left. And, and T- baby Tua, he left, obviously, last offseason. So, uh, their depth was kind of lacking at that position moving forward. So great pickup for Alabama, just a backbreaker for Tennessee. And I, to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but I think this is the first time Alabama has beaten out Clemson for one of these elite quarterbacks in recent history. I'm, I'm sure they've beaten plenty of Clemson. They've beaten Clemson out for plenty of quarterbacks in their history. But, you know, the run that Clemson's been at that quarterback position, I know Alabama's wanted a lot of those guys too. And a big win on the Many different aspects for Alabama, however you want to look at it. If you, and if you missed it, man, this uh, commitment was on CBS. And I guess probably because I didn't do the National Signing Day podcast, but I've been meaning to get this off my chest. CBS, if you guys have been watching these. So they have, you know, it's not even the uh, TV station. It's head on over to CBS Sports HQ, whatever the hell they call it. We're going to have the commitment of Ty Simpson. They've, they, they've been doing all these now where – they're broadcasting them on the internet and more power to them. I mean, I think it's great that they're doing that and the, the kids are getting exposure and all that. I mean, that's why they're doing it, but man, what a shitty presentation these guys have. The way they do it, they break down the commit then they kick it over to the, to him and his family. They talk about all the schools they're interested. And then they say, Hey, are you ready to make your announcement? Commitment says the commit says, yeah. And they're like, okay, hold on for about five to eight minutes. How do we do commercials and more? breaking down what type of player you are. And then the commits just got to sit there in a damn auditorium in dead silence for, I don't know, it, it's pretty damn dumb if you ask me. <laughs> Maybe it's just a pet peeve of mine, but I watched enough of these things where it just, it's so bizarre how they're doing it. I mean, let the guy have his moment there, then talk about, you know, what a player he is and all this and what the school's getting. That makes a lot more sense. But hell, I don't work for CBS, so I don't want it to... Maybe I'm just pissed off Alabama's getting all of the good players. <laughs> but hey, speaking of Tennessee, let's kick it all down to Rocky Top. Where Josh Heupel just missed out on his first marquee recruit. Somewhat understandable. I mean, we got sanctions incoming, likely. Probably going to miss some bowl bans. Players are defecting left and right. I mean, you're just not going to develop like you will at Alabama. It's an uneven playing field when you talk about Alabama and Tennessee right now. So a lot to be said there for what Josh Heupel, the uphill battle he's got. But during a recent appearance on the Jim Rome show, I thought this was an important clip. Very, you know, he spoke for about 10 minutes, but here's the best part of it. Josh Heupel asked about uh, the, the offense and the system and everything they're going to be running here. And he, you know, had really good, Really good answer. This is the perfect answer. This is what I wanted to hear from Coach Heupel. 
Josh Heupel is joining us for a few more moments. You know, you've mentioned it being a new age approach a couple of times, and then you mentioned scheme. You know, I'm curious, when we talk about the success that you had at UCF, especially when it comes to offensive offensive football, you did bring four assistants with you from the offensive side from UCF. So what kind of an offense are you looking to run in Knoxville, for instance? Is it a matter of just plug and play, or does it feel like you have to change it up a little? You, you're going to change from year to year in, in what you're doing. Our overall philosophy uh, will not change as far as uh, trying to apply pressure, playing with tempo, uh, trying to create matchups to give op- opportunities uh, for guys to go win. But you're going to change based on your personnel. And, and I think that's been true of, you know, when we were in Missouri and led, led this league at, uh, in offense for, for two years, uh, we had a, a certain style of, of who we were based on our personnel. Went to UCF. Uh, it changed subtly year to year, uh, in particular with the different quarterbacks that we played with, but then our skill guys as well. Uh, you have to adjust and, and put your kids in a position of success. You know, first team meeting, I told our players, uh, if we got three great tight ends, we'll play with three tight ends on the field. Um, we'll play with five wideouts if, if that's our best personnel package. Uh, at the end of the day, our players are responsible to show that they're going to play at a championship level. They do that. It's our uh, responsibility as coaches. Uh, to find a way to put them in a position and get them on the football field to go be successful. All right, so why is that an important answer, you may be asking? Because college football, with all the massive turnover from year to year, now that's been exasperated by the transfer portal and what have you, and likely one-time transfer waivers coming. But you have to be able to adapt to your personnel. And that sounds simple. I mean, it sounds logical. And it again, it is one thing to say it. You got to go out there and do it. But look around college football. Nick Saban would not be having a dynasty still at Alabama if he did not adapt and look around and say, well, hell, we're bringing in these quarterbacks and these receivers. We got to open this thing up. That's what he's done. Uh, look at Lane Kiffin, which – you know, we'll give him a ton of credit for opening it up at Alabama. But when he was down there one year, Blake Sims was a quarterback. You know, they got a lot of production out of him. But who was the star player? Amari Cooper. Let's force feed Cooper every damn play we can. Very next year, they turn around. Who was their best player? Derrick Henry. Let's feed this guy the rock 400-something crazy times, whatever they gave him the ball. You have to adapt to your personnel in college it's a must if you're going to succeed. Why did Les Miles fail at LSU ultimately after his initial success? He would not adapt. Why Gus Malzahn, in large part out at Auburn, his system, when did his system ever work without a quarterback that couldn't run the ball? You know, I mean, he cannot adjust, failed to adjust. Why Mark Stoops changing his offense? You know, they've got to adjust. Of course, they need to get better personnel in there to run it. But, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Dan Bullen, look at his offenses, whether it's Felipe Franks, whether it's Kyle Trask. I mean, these are different off. Emory Jones, we're going to get to that in a little bit. That's going to look much different, I think, next year than it did last year. And you could say the same thing about when they went from Dak Prescott to Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State. I mean, the guy is He's constantly changing to fit his personnel. Same thing with Georgia right now. we got all these receivers. Need to get a quarterback in there so we can open it up. 
That's the name of the game in college football. And this is the perfect answer by Josh Heupel, who's getting touted as some guru who knows how to you know, work with these quarterbacks and work with this offense. It's not about all these players fitting into what Josh Heupel wants. It's all about can he get the most out of his players by adapting to their strengths and shying away from their weaknesses. That's what he just said he's going to do. If he can do it, Tennessee's going to have a hell of an offense for the, uh, the entire time he's there. So now that's the challenge is actually getting it done. But that's why that was the perfect answer, I thought, from Josh Heupel. All right, jumping on down to the other Columbia, Columbia, Missouri. M-I-Z! Tennessee missed out on Ty Simpson, went to Alabama, hit on that. So the next logical choice, skip on down to Georgia, four-star quarterback Sam Horn, right? Parents, former season ticket holders, Tennessee. He wears number 21, I believe, because of Heath Shuler. The guy's a Tennessee lock, right? Not so fast. Committed to Missouri on Sunday evening. So, oh my God. 0 for 2 here, Heupel. Got to adapt to your recruiting strategy. Huge, huge pickup from Missouri, though. They landed uh, an Elite 11 quarterback last season that got Connor Basilak. And now, of course, he's not signed or anything, but they got Sam Horn, who's a top 100 prospect. I, I believe he's the number six quarterback prospect in the nation. So, ton of momentum there for Drinkowitz and Missouri. And that leads me to something I I wanted to hit on anyway with Missouri. I was looking over the recruiting rankings, in-state recruiting rankings for Missouri. I've never seen anything like this for this state. They got two five-stars in the state of Missouri this recruiting cycle. And they've got nine four-star prospects in the state of Missouri. Now, people are quick to point out, you know, one of these five-stars already committed to Oklahoma, uh, one of the four stars committed to Notre Dame. Another one of them's committed to Stanford. And the other five star doesn't look like he's interested at Missouri at this time. I don't give a damn about any of that. Because what's going to happen as this recruiting dead period and all this crap keeps getting extended, these prospects more and more are staying closer to home. And that, I'm not guaranteeing that's going to happen this cycle, but that's what I think is going to continue to happen. And more importantly, if Missouri continues to progress on the field, these guys are going to, you know, they're going to be getting hit up all the time. Why in the hell are you going to Notre Dame? Why in the hell would you go to Oklahoma when we got right down the road here? We got an emerging SEC powerhouse with an offensive-minded coach, we got all this talent. We got an NFL defensive coordinator that's been a damn head coach in the NFL. Why are we looking at all these other schools? Hell, one of them's looking at Nebraska. Like, give me a fucking break. This is uh, lining up perfectly for Missouri. And again, we are, what, seven, eight months away from the signing period. So it don't matter what they're thinking right now. It matters what they're thinking seven, eight months down the road. And if Missouri can capitalize on the field, on the momentum they had last cycle, and looking at this incredible, incredible haul. Like I said, I don't think I've ever seen the state of Missouri have this much talent in it. If they can capitalize, flip a couple of these kids, get them more interested in the Missouri Tigers, 
I understand maybe they didn't want to play for Missouri before, but it's a new day in Missouri. This is the makings. Missouri fans want to be legitimate in the SEC. This is how you do it. You start winning these battles at home, and you, you know, right now is the time to get it because you may never have another haul quite like this. And this is how you build a contender is just cleaning house with some of these elite prospects you got looking at you right in state. All right, last team to jump to. Let's jump on damn to Gainesville. Where the Gators currently in spring practice. We've talked about that a little bit here, but uh, Dan Mullen met with the media here on Monday. And I kind of hinted it to it there. I mean, Mullen is a master at molding his offense to who he's got in there. Hell, the best example I can give you, Felipe Franks went down season-ending injury. We're losing on the road at Kentucky. We bring in Kyle Trask. He completely flips the script. And we just go pass-heavy. We, we stick to Kyle Trask's strengths, win the game on the road. So, you know, Florida's offense probably going to look a lot different next year. And that's probably compounded by the fact that they lost so much at the receiving position and the All-American and Kyle Pitts. And they've got a lot of incoming talent at running back and some veteran offensive linemen. So it's probably going to be a more run-heavy, play-action type offense to be sure. But uh, that's something that Dan Mullen talked about here on Monday. He was asked about Emory Jones and what he's seeing from him this spring with – you know, I don't want to say the pressure being on Emory Jones, but everyone's assuming he's going to be the guy. He's never yet been that for an SEC program. People were thinking that was maybe going to come last season. You know, during his recruitment, they were thinking once Felipe's graduated or off to the NFL, it would be Emory Jones. But that was before Kyle Trask stepped up and became a superstar. So this is a long time coming. He's waited and waited for this moment. Being a quarterback, starting quarterback in the SEC, there's pressure that comes with that. So I'm not saying he's not going to be able to handle it or anything, but uh, that's something that I think Dan Mullen kind of hit on, just the preparedness of Emory Jones. And he was asked about his arm talent and everything and you know how the offense will be changing with Emory Jones potentially as a starting quarterback in Gainesville. Yeah, Dan, you talked uh, kind of generally about the quarterbacks. I wondered uh, more specifically, what, what have you seen out of Emory so far that you're really pleased with? And then what are you working to improve with him? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, everything. He's got a, you know, I mean, a good understanding of the offense. Obviously, we're adding some different things that we had didn't have in last year, uh, you know, and throwing some of those new things out there to see what he, what, what kind of sticks and fits with our guys, and we're tweaking it. Uh, with tweaking some of the things, made some changes. We're make some changes uh, today, you know, and said, hey, we're going to change the these things in this direction but uh you know i think his maturity and understanding what we expect out there on the field uh you know his grasp of the offense uh i think is really good and then you know his ability to if we do kind of make changes on the run even on stuff say we we wanted to look at things this way and we're now we're going to try to change them a little bit uh his ability to adjust to that i think is really good mentioned trask um we're all just guessing here but we're going to guess emory might run a few more RPOs or might run the ball more, carry the ball more, Will you be a more run-oriented offense. I mean, if you were just projecting that without knowing, how would you say that would – what would that morph into? I'm not sure. i got to see. We've only had five practices with this team. So, you know, they're all – it does depend on a surrounding cast too, you know, I mean, to, to sit there. There's certainly something to the guys that surround them. 
uh, of what we're going to ask him to do. You know, we're going to play to the strengths of the quarterback. We're also going to play to the strengths of all the players around him as well. And, you know, and, and so, you know, they're going to have to slightly adjust onto um, what everybody else around him uh, does well. I mean, obviously, if you see Emery, I mean, you know, he's more, I expect uh, you're going to see the opportunity for him to make more out-of-the-box plays maybe than Kyle did. Kyle, was, I thought, was really athletic within the pocket, could extend in a real short area, uh, extend plays. One thing Emery's going to bring to the table is ability uh, to really extend plays. Um, you know, he has tremendous arm talent, a really strong arm, so his ability to extend plays, to potentially scramble, keep plays alive, uh, and then the arm strength to make throws down the field that, you know, will keep that, that'll change things up. So I think the improvisation at the quarterback position will be one thing that'll be very different. Just one quick one. Is there any reason why we keep hearing these people suggest that Emory is not that good a passer? It looks to me like he's really good. It looks to me like he can make all the throws. If you compare it to his abilities as a passer in your offense, why would it be any worse in my opinion? Yeah, I, don't, I haven't heard that, but, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, you feel confident that that's I feel pretty, you know, he's got a cannon for an arm. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm, so I don't know who would say that, I guess. And maybe there's somebody out of practice, watching practice, that's more expertise, a quarterback than me, that's letting you know those things. But um, I'm pretty confident in what he can do. All right, th- so there you have it from Dan Mullen. I just thought those were some pretty good comments there about Emory Jones. And here's another thing to keep in mind. Florida's schedule, it's interesting. Emory Jones has uh, seen the field enough to where I don't really think this is going to be an issue. But, you know, again, being the backup and coming in for, you know, a series here or a series there or a couple plays here or there, it's completely different than being the face of the program, the leader of the offense, particularly if the offense struggles at all out the gate. Not saying it will. Dan Mullen's strength. Florida was unstoppable on offense at times, but a lot of those players off to the NFL. You know, the opener of FAU, that's that's a damn joke. But then all of a sudden, they'll probably beat the shit out of uh, South Florida too, but it's on the road week two, so that's something to think about. I'm not really worried about those games, but then week three, Alabama comes to the swamp. So that tells me if Florida's got any chance in hell to beat Alabama. I mean, Emory Jones got to be firing on all cylinders by the third week of the season. And that is a lot of pressure on a first time starting quarterback. That's just something to think about. But what Dan Mullen just said, hell, it sounds like Emory Jones is ready now. So I'm not saying I should be concerned about where he's going to be week three of the season, but it's good to see that he's taking this, you know, this is his opportunity. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, waiting your turn, waiting, 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 kind of like a Mac Jones at Alabama. I mean, you it's different if you come in and you're the starting quarterback, your freshman or redshirt freshman year, and you just think you're hot shit and you're better than everybody, yada, 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 and then it doesn't happen for you. You know, what's your level of preparedness at that point if things are handed to you or if there's no competition, and maybe you are the best player, Maybe the competition in the locker room is just, you know, the, the competition on campus is not where it should be. It's been the complete opposite of Florida. I mean, it's been nothing but competition. That's the only reason he's not seeing the field. So now 
that it's Emory Jones's time. It's time to see if he'll cat jump up and capitalize on it here. All right, whew, I think it's the longest I've ever talked solo here. Losing my voice, my glass of water's been empty for about 20 minutes now. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm praying over here that Cousin Shane makes his return to the pod, stops his excuses here. He says he's going to, so I, I've got an idea for a midweek show. Hopefully, we can get the Tennessee homer back on the, on the show. But, uh, hey, man, that's going to do it before I go horse here. And, uh, hey, if you, if you made it this far... If you haven't turned me off, sick and tired of listening to me spiel here. Don't forget to give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. And hey, on our way out here, special announcement, the Crimson Calamity, the band that uh, provides all the music for the show, they've got a new single out. We're going to play it for you on our way out the door. Give them a follow, crimsoncalamitymusic.com. And uh, check them out, Spotify, Apple, however you get your music. And there's links to that as well in the pod notes. So I uh, want to give a special shout out to Crimson Calamity. Thanks for allowing us to use your music. And congrats on the new single. That's going to do it for me. That's about all I got to say before I lose my voice. But uh, hey, we'll catch you on the next one. Chase the light I'm due